Welcome to the Movie Planet. Joining me again on our MCU journey is the Darren Cross to my Scott Lang. Steve, welcome back, sir. How are you doing down in Florida? I'm doing great. It's a little different. Because? So, make a long story short, the wife needs to do some schoolwork. So I have no computer. So what are you using? <laughs> no, did I not? I didn't memorize all this. I have my wonderful phone set up with the kickstand with all of my notes set and ready to go. So I'm doing this on a little little screen here. Okay. It's, I've done this before. It works. And I'm ready to go because you know what? There's nothing holding me back from doing this film. Okay. So to be clear... You are both recording on your phone, you're using your phone for the notes, and we all know you're a busy man, my friend. If text messages come through, you'll be answering them also on said phone. Yes, which thank you for that. I'm going to make sure that this is on <laughs> silent, so if anything does beep through, you won't, nobody will be able to hear it. But you know what? I've told everybody. Don't bother I'm me. I'm busy. I'm locked in for this time, so it's, you know, now that you say all that, Technology is amazing. Uh, oh, there you go. Look at you. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> well, we are tackling the first movie in the Ant-Man series and the 12th in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Ant-Man, a movie that I was in love with when I first saw and you thought was dog Get into that. <laughs> <laughs> On this show, we'll be keeping track of all the movies worth your time in our Movie Planet Pantheon. The comic book Movie Planet Preserve is comprised of seven and only seven films. In order to be inducted, it's got to be reviewed by us. They are Deadpool with an A, a perfect 12 out of 12, joined by Iron Man, another A with a perfect 12 out of 12, and finally the third perfect score, The Dark Knight, with another A, another 12 out of 12. Now in fourth place comes The Batman Begins, A minus, an 11 out of 12. Captain America, The Winter Soldier, scored a B plus, a 10.5 out of 12. And Marvel's The Avengers was, comes in the number six spot with a B plus, a 10.5 out of 12 also. Now, the final spot in our Pantheon goes to Captain America, the first Avenger, which scored a B, a 9.5 out of 12. But I've got a feeling that this might be changing today. I think you are absolutely <laughs> right. But you never know. There's something that could just surprise you and or me today. A wrinkle that pops up. Yeah. Okay, well, the higher the grade we give it, the longer it may be staying there. Only a film with a higher grade can kick it out on its butt from preserving the future. So we will discuss the movie. And in an hour or so, we will analyze it and grade it and figure out if we need to boot a movie out. This is a spoiler-rich podcast. So if you've not seen this movie, 2015's Ant-Man, it's best if you stop right here, watch the movie, turn us back on, enjoy the discussion and analysis. And hey, lend in what you think also. But now that we've finished this business, let's get down to business. Because this week, we are discussing 2015's <laughs> Ant-Man, a movie made for $130 million that brought in $519.3 million worldwide. Not bad for an unknown character. Yeah, that's pretty good. And, and I mean, you know, I hate to say it, $519.3 million does seem on the little <clears throat> small side oh. of all of these. And, you know, the fact that this podcast is now that I'm doing this is on a smaller screen, oh, a smaller device. I mean... He's going uh, crazy. <laughs> this is absolutely meant to be. This might be the best one, people. Oh, what? What? <laughs> this might be the best podcast we do right now. So if oh, everything's just coming along, <laughs> I'm going to kind of kind of go back in time a little bit here because you know, yeah, yeah, five nineteen seems a little small for an Avengers movie. If we look at the very at all the origin movies that have come out, 
So Thor, when it came out, it made $449 million. Okay. So it's above that one. Captain America the First Avenger made $370 million. Iron Man 3 made $1.2 billion. So what is this proving? It says if you're an origin movie, people are a little leery. But if you've established, you'll bank bank. Yeah, I think maybe the fact that maybe this origin did a little bit better. I think Marvel, this is like 12 movies in. People are on the Marvel kick. So I think as a brand new character, I think you got a lot of those people too, as opposed to like, if this was like the second character introduced, yeah, maybe not as much. Not to mention this movie, I think was, when, it, when Ant-Man came to theaters, I think Age of Ultron was actually still running in theaters. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, here we go. It's produced by the great and powerful Kevin Feige, written by Joe Cornish, Adam McKay, Paul Rudd, and Edgar Wright, directed by Peyton Reed, with music by Christoph Beck from Frozen. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. Starring Paul Rudd as Scott Lang, Michael Douglas as Dr. Hank Pym, Evangeline Lilly as Hope Van Dyne, (laughs) Corey Stoll as Darren Cross, Bobby Cannavale as Paxton, Anthony Mackie as Sam Wilson, Judy Greer as Maggie Lang, Abby Ryder Fortson as the almost too adorable Cassie Lang, Michael Pena as Louise, David Desmalchian as Kurt, T.I. as Dave, Haley Atwell as Peggy Carter, John Slattery as Howard Stark, Martin Donovan as Mitchell Carson, and Stan Lee as a bartender. <laughs> um, anybody, anybody on there right now that you think is the MVP of this movie? You know what? I would probably have to even probably say I think Michael Pena. Yes! Whenever he's on there, he kind of steals the show. But you know what? I think you even mentioned even the little girl. Oh, yeah. She's just got a unique personality about her that's almost – it's really cute, but it could be a little – creepy at the same time we'll get get into that scene (laughs) all right well hey let's get into the making of this movie right now don't get on the set get ready to shoot and then ask for rewrites studios do this crap all the time and they wonder why they end up with a shit movie smoke and mirrors guys welcome to the movie factory movie you know i hate the word movie i don't make movies i make films Development of an Ant-Man film began as early as the late 1980s when Ant-Man co-creator Stan Lee pitched the idea to New World Pictures, Marvel Comics' parent company at the time. However, Walt Disney Pictures was developing a film based on a similar concept, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And although Ant-Man went into development, nothing came to fruition. Fast forward to 2000. Howard Stern met with Marvel in an attempt to purchase the film rights to Ant-Man. In May of that year, Artisan Entertainment announced a deal with Marvel to co-produce, finance, and distribute a film based on Ant-Man. In 2003, Edgar Wright and his writing partner, Joe Cornish, they wrote a treatment for Artisan, with Wright explaining that it revolved around Scott Lang as a burglar, so he could have gone slightly in the Elmore Leonard route though Artisan wanted the film to be like a family thing. However, Wright believed that the treatment was never sent to Marvel. A year later, the duo pitched the film to Marvel Studios' then head of production, Kevin Feige. In April 2006, Marvel Studios hired Edgar Wright to direct and co-write Ant-Man with Joe Cornish as part of the company's first slate of independently produced films. Wright would also co-produce the film with his Big Talk Productions partner, Nira Park. 
At the 2006 San Diego Comic-Con International, Wright said he was intrigued by the story's high concept and character. Wright also stressed that the film would not be a spoof, but an action-adventure with some comedic elements and would incorporate both the Hank Pym and Scott Lang incarnations of the character. Wright said that he was looking to do a prologue where you see Pym as Ant-Man in action in the 60s in sort of Tales to Astonish mode, basically. And then the contemporary sort of flash forward is Scott Lang's story and how he comes to acquire the suit, how he crosses paths with Hank Pym, and then, in an interesting sort of Machiavellian way, teams up with him. The next February, Edgar Wright said that the project was in a holding pattern while the script was being revised and that he had been doing research for the film by studying nanotechnology. In March 2008, Edgar Wright said that the first draft of the script had been completed and he was working on the second. Now, Stan Lee, he tweets in February 2010 that Marvel was prepping the film and that he met with Wright for lunch to discuss the character. Wright noted that there was no timetable for the film because Marvel did not consider the character to be one of their bigger tentpole properties. So, quote, it's more like me and Kevin Feige saying, let's make a good script that works, that's all about a great genre film, and that isn't necessarily relying on anything else. End quote. At the 2010 San Diego Comic-Con International, Edgar Wright remarked that because his film would be an origin story and would not be released until after The Avengers, the first Avengers film would not include Ant-Man. Although Wright acknowledged that the character might appear in future Avengers films. In January 2011, Edgar Wright stated that he had resumed writing the script for the film following the conclusion of the international promotion for Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. And by April, he and Joe Cornish delivered the second draft of Ant-Man to Marvel. At the 2011 San Diego Comic-Con International, Wright revealed a third draft had been handed in. Fast forward to May 2012. Kevin Feige said that the project was as close as it has ever been, while Wright teased the film by tweeting a pictogram of Ant-Man. In June, Wright spent just under a week shooting footage for a reel that would be used to test out the potential look and tone of his movie as well as to decide how convincing Ant-Man's powers look on screen. The test footage was screened to audiences during the Marvel Studios panel at the 2012 San Diego Comic-Con International, with Wright confirming that Ant-Man would be happening. Disney then scheduled the film for release on November 6th, 2015. Now, Kevin Feige stated in January of 2013 that Ant-Man would be part of Phase 3 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and indicated in May of that same year that the screenplay needed to be modified in order to fit into the universe, as the project had been in development before the first Iron Man film. Feige also stated that shooting was slated to begin sometime in 2014 and that casting would begin towards the end of 2013. In July of 2013, Wright said that he and Cornish had completed the script for the film and that Marvel allowed him to delay its production so that he could complete the world's end, as that film's producer, Eric Fellner, was diagnosed with cancer. In August of 2013, after Joss Whedon, director of Age of Ultron, announced that Hank Pym would not be Ultron's creator, Wright said Ultron was never a part of the story of Ant-Man, explaining that, quote, just a sort of setup what Ant-Man does is enough for one movie, end quote. 
Wright described Ant-Man as a standalone film, but said it would fit into the larger continuity of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, explaining, quote, I like to make it standalone because I think the premise of it needs time. I want to put the crazy premise of it into a real world, which is why I think Iron Man really works because it's a relatively simple universe. It's relatable. I definitely want to go into finding a streamlined format where you can use the origin format to introduce the main character and further adventures can bring other people into it. End quote. Wright also stated that pre-production for Ant-Man would begin in October and filming would begin in 2014. The next month, Disney moved the film's release date up to July 31st, 2015. So here we are in October 2013, and Edgar Wright reveals that he was in Los Angeles to work on Ant-Man by tweeting a photograph from the production of the June 2012 test reel. Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Paul Rudd were soon being considered for the lead role, though Gordon-Levitt dismissed his consideration as a rumor. Feige stated that Ant-Man would be a heist movie and that a casting announcement for Hank Pym would come before the end of 2013. The next month, Feige stated that Eric O'Grady's Ant-Man would not be featured in the film, while Rudd became the frontrunner to play Hank Pym, and casting for the character's girlfriend had begun. Around that time, the filmmakers' intentions to shoot in the United Kingdom were dashed because of a lack of studio space, which Wright believed was due to the plan by Pinewood Shepperton to add 15 studios to their facility, which was rejected in part by the local council in May 2013 because the project was eyeing protected land. By the end of the month, the film was scheduled to be shot in the U.S. instead. In December 2013, Wright, a fan of the comic book since childhood, owning copies of Tales to Astonish No. 27, featuring the man in the Ant Hill storyline, and Marvel Premiere No. 47, featuring the first appearance of Scott Lang, he states that the difference between Ant-Man and other films featuring size changing is, quote, other shrinking movies are usually about somebody trapped small. This is different in that he can actually change size, and he can do that at will, so it becomes more of a power than an impediment, end quote. Wright also talked about the challenge of directing a superhero film, saying, quote, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz and World's End are all R-rated films. I like the challenge of making a PG-13 film because you've got to entertain in a different way. You don't have the same tools, end quote. By December 19th, Paul Rudd was in negotiations to star in the film, and Marvel announced that he had been cast as Ant-Man the very next day. In January 2014, Wright posted a screenshot on his blog from the Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes episode to steal an Ant-Man, which features Hank Pym and introduces the Scott Lang character with the caption, Homework. Michael Douglas was subsequently cast as Pym with Rudd confirmed to play Lang. Michael Pena was offered an unspecified role in the film and filming was scheduled to take place at Pinewood, Atlanta in Fayette County, Georgia, while Disney changed the release date once again moving the film up to July 17th, 2015. The next month, Evangeline Lilly entered talks to portray the female lead, and Wright announced on his blog that Bill Pope, who he worked with on Scott Pilgrim vs. The World and The World's End, would be his director of photography. By March, Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish turned in a fifth draft of the script amid alleged disputes on the direction the script was taking. As well, Wright and Cornish wrote a scene intended for the post-credits of Avengers Age of Ultron that would have acted as a prelude to the film. 
Corey Stoll entered negotiations for an undisclosed role in the film, and by April, Patrick Wilson and Matt Gerald were cast in undisclosed roles. Now, this is where it gets funky. On May 23rd, 2014, Marvel Studios and Edgar Wright jointly announced that Wright was leaving the project due to differences in their vision of the film and that the studio was closing in on a new director. On the split, Edgar Wright said, quote, I wanted to make a Marvel movie, but I don't think they really wanted to make an Edgar Wright movie, end quote. He also added that at one point, Marvel wanted to do a draft of the script without him, which was a tough thing to move forward, as Wright has written all of the previous films he directed. Wright continued, quote, suddenly becoming a director for hire on it. You're sort of a less emotionally, emotionally invested, and you start to wonder why you're there, really, end quote. The majority of Wright's crew also left the project in the wake of his departure. By May 30th, Adam McKay had entered negotiations to replace Wright, but he pulled out of negotiations the next day out of respect for Wright, who he was friends with. On June 7th, Marvel announced that Peyton Reed would direct the film, with McKay contributing to the film's script. McKay felt this was the perfect result since he would not be replacing Wright, but was able to help Rudd, who he was also friends with. Later in June, Feige stated the film was still intended to be released on the July 17, 2015 date, with production slated to begin on August 18, 2014. Feige elaborated that much of that movie was still based very much on Wright and Cornish's draft and the DNA of what Edgar has created up to this point, with Reed stepping in to direct and McKay reworking only parts of the script. Quote, Reed wanted to be sure that he wasn't just inheriting something or following someone else's lead, or wasn't inheriting something that the evil, evil studio had watered down to be something bad. He looked at everything, he talked with us, and he said, number one, I agree with the direction you're going on. Number two, I can add to it, end quote. McKay confirmed that Rudd helped him rewrite the script, calling Rudd great with dialogue, adding, quote, the two of us holed up in hotel rooms on the East and West Coast, and I think it was like six to eight weeks we just grounded out and did a giant rewrite of the script. I was really proud of what we did. I really thought we put some amazing stuff in there and built on an already strong script from Edgar Wright and sort of just enhanced some stuff, end quote. Paul Rudd elaborated, quote, the idea, the trajectory, the goal, and the blueprint of it all is really Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish. It's their story. We changed some scenes. We added new sequences. We changed some characters. We added new characters. If you took the two scripts and held them up together, they'd be very different but the idea is all theirs, end quote. Some additions to the film that had not been featured in Wright's version included Janet Van Dyne, the Quantum Realm, and a fight with an Avenger. According to Reed, the Quantum Realm was the MCU's version of the Microverse, which could not be called that due to legal reasons. The alternate name was suggested by consultant Spiros Michalkis, a quantum physicist and staff researcher at the California Institute of Technology, to inject elements of modern physics into the script. Reed also offered contributions to the revised script, as did Evangeline Lilly and Corey Stoll, who contributed ideas to help flesh out their respective characters. Lilly's character received a fuller arc and more action sequences as a result. One of the important things when joining the film for Reed was emphasizing both Hope and Janet Van Dyne more, given the Wasp being, quote, a crucial part, end quote, of the Ant-Man comics. 
For their efforts, McKay and Rudd were credited as additional writers on the screenplay, screenplay, with Wright and Cornish credited for the screenplay and story. Wright also held an executive producer credit on the film. By the end of July, Patrick Wilson left the film because of scheduling conflicts brought on by the filming delay, and characters being played by Gerald and Kevin Wiseman were cut in McKay's revised script. Also, Reed indicated that in addition to Georgia, filming would take place in San Francisco. The next month, Reed revealed that Scott Lang's daughter would appear in the film, and Gabriel Ferrari and Andrew Barrer were hired to make further revisions to the script. Ferrari and Barrer were hired after Reed read their spec script, Die in a Gunfight, which Reed felt was really interesting. Eric Pearson, a member of Marvel Studios' writing program who had written the Marvel one-shot films, did uncredited work on the film as well, scripting the strip, strip club scene and Stan Lee's cameo. After reading the revised script, Evangeline Lilly felt that the film was pulled more into the MCU than Edgar Wright's version, which, quote, was much more in the Edgar Wright camp of films. She added that Wright's version was incredible and would have been great to film and watch, quote, it wouldn't have fit in the Marvel Universe. It would have stuck out like a sore thumb, no matter how good it was. It just would have taken you away from this cohesive universe they're trying to create. And therefore, it ruins the suspended disbelief that they built. Arnim Zola from Captain America the First Avenger and Captain America the Winter Soldier was considered to make an appearance in the film, with concept art created depicting him in his robot body from the comics. In March 2015, Haley Atwell confirmed that she would reprise her role as Peggy Carter in the film. And in April of 2015, Reed stated that the film was not completed yet and would be undergoing a little bit of additional filming. In June 2015, Kevin, Kevin Feige confirmed that the character of Janet Van Dyne would be seen, though the film would not address Pym and Van Dyne's infamous domestic abuse storyline in the comics, saying, quote, we hint at a temper in a way that people who know the stories might go, oh, perhaps that's a bit of Hank's character, but not in a way that would ever indicate he beat his wife, end quote. Also in the month, Reed confirmed there would be a post-credit sequence that may tie into the other films. Kevin Feige revealed that the post-credit sequence was footage shot by Anthony and Joe Russo for Captain America Civil War. On June 25, 2015, Reed announced on social media that production of Ant-Man was officially complete. And in early July of 2015, an international trailer revealed that Anthony Mackie would appear in the film as Sam Wilson, Falcon. Mackie also appears in the post credit sequence as well, along with Chris Evans and Sebastian Stan. Stan stated the scene that was used for the post credit sequence was shot in May 2015 and would appear in the middle of Civil War. Reed also said that the end of the film Reed also said that the end of the film originally had a sequence where Ant-Man went after Carson to retrieve the stolen vial of Cross's particles. Quote, but then for a couple of reasons, it felt like maybe we should leave those particles out there. End quote. All right, Steve, do you remember seeing Ant-Man for the first time? And what did you think? <laughs> go ahead and oh, say yeah. my favorite this, two words i know this was definitely on my uh joe journey what, what? um because uh and i was already prejudging this film coming in because <laughs> i think i remember when it got released and all the publicity that it had and i'm like yeah man really 
<laughs> I like laughed. I was like, I think I can't take Marvel seriously right now. It's like, <laughs> no, I'm not seeing a freaking thing called Ant Man. And my sister, who's huge, huge Marvel nerd too, loves everything Marvel. Even she was trying to convince her. I was like, I'm sorry, I'm not seeing a film about a guy who shrinks down. I was already prejudging the film. Yeah. So I thought it was lame at the time, but. Uh, what about you? I was actually surprised by this because just like Guardians of the Galaxy, I thought that this would be a fumble also. And because it's one thing things like, you know, at that point, we were seven, eight, nine movies in, 10 movies in, 11. It's like, OK, at some point, they're going to have a fail. And when I saw they were doing Ant-Man, I was like, OK, this is Marvel just basically pulling down its pants and showing its <laughs> saying you're still going to come. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> but after seeing this movie, I was surprised that I liked it. I mean, I left. It was funny as hell. And it's really, really small. Huh? In comparison oh. to the Avengers movie that it followed, Age of Ultron. This is the first movie that Marvel did within a few months of an Avengers movie. Mm-hmm. And it, okay. so, yeah, it was kind of like, oh, did you love Avengers? Well, here's one little piece here b- before we go on to phase three. It's, uh, I think there's going to be a common theme throughout this podcast of uh, <laughs> uh, a lot of puns here and there. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, well, <laughs> here we go. Synopsis of the movie. But before we get started, here's a little clip from Ant-Man. 40 years ago, I created a formula that altered atomic relative distance. Huh? I learned how to change the distance between atoms. That's what powers the suit. That's why it works. But it was dangerous. It was too dangerous. So I hid it from the world. And that's when I switched gears and I started my own company. Pentech. Yes. I took on a young protege called Darren Cross. Darren Cross. He's a big deal. Well, before he was a big deal, he was my assistant. I thought I saw something in him, a son I never had, perhaps. He was brilliant, but as we became close, he began to suspect that I wasn't telling him everything. He had rumors about what was called the Pym Particle, and he became obsessed with recreating my formula. But I wouldn't help him, so he conspired against me, and he voted me out of my own company. How could he do that? The board's chairman is my daughter, Hope. She was the deciding vote. But she came back to me when she saw how close Cross was to cracking my formula. Process is highly volatile. One isn't protected by a specialized helmet. It can affect the brain's chemistry. I don't think Darren realizes this, and you know he's not the most stable guy to begin with. So what do you want from me? Scott, I believe that everyone deserves a shot at redemption. Do you? I do. If you can help me, I promise I can help you be with your daughter again. Now, are you ready to redeem yourself? Absolutely. My days of breaking into places and stealing shit are done. What do you want me to do? I want you to break into a place and steal some shit. All right. In the year 1989, Hank Pym resigns from S.H.I.E.L.D. after discovering Howard Stark's attempt to replicate his own shrinking technology, which Pym believes is very dangerous and vows to suppress it. Hello, de-aging technology. Douglas looks good here with his new tech. Was this the first time that they delved into this at all? 
I think it the was. Technology. I think so. Because yeah, it looked it looked really good. You couldn't even tell. I mean, to me, I guess the first or the first time I think I saw it, I was just like, oh, Michael Douglas looks pretty good for being this old, you know, in this time. <laughs> and then I realized, oh wait, that was technology. Oh, geez, that's really good. So yeah, um, yeah kudos to uh, Marvel diving into them because I think they kind of set the precedent for that kind of technology. Well, I mean, it's after this that we get the almost all digital Tarkin in Star Wars, a Rogue One. I wonder, was this pre or post Benjamin Button? Because I know that was a film that did some. This was definitely aging, post. But I, don't, but I don't know if that was all practical effects or not. Yeah, this is this is definitely post. Oh, okay. Yeah. I love this scene because it's early S.H.I.E.L.D. And you can see Howard Stark. You see Hank Pym. You see Haley Atwell still as Agent Carter. It's like, yeah, I'm still here, guys. <laughs> yeah, that but, was really cool. But then they have this fourth goof there, Mitchell Carr. Who the hell is this? Hey, see, they needed a tool to throw in there because all the other guys are big names, Starks, Peggy Carter, you know, Hank Pym, who's he's a, he's a new guy. Yeah. You just need that guy. <laughs> and I think that's what Mitchell Carson was. Yeah. Well, anyway, in the present day, Scott Lang has just served his last day at San Quentin State Prison, waiting to pick him up as his old cellmate, Louise, who offers to let him stay at his apartment. Scott is unable to find a legitimate job with his criminal record. He had found out that the company he worked for had been overcharging their customers. So he hacked into the system and transferred millions of dollars back to the customers. Louise introduces him to Dave, a getaway driver, and Kurt, an identity thief specialist. Louise has a tip about a robbery they could do together. Steve, Louise is already my favorite character in the movie. <laughs> yeah, he's just he's that guy who has just a bunch of one-liners. And um, yeah, it was it was fun to see him and kind of slowly get in a, a mingle. But out of all four of them, you know, you got Scott Lang, you know, he, he's like your number one guy. But that he is a clear-cut, you know, sidekick there. The other two, eh. I don't know too much about, but he's the he's the funny one. He's definitely going to bring be bringing the humor to this film. Yeah, you get to see him. You get to see Scott Lang working at Baskin Robbins. Like this is the only job he can get with a master's degree in electrical engineering. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They have that scene, and then they cut right to Baskin Robbins. I'm just like, oh, that's just classic. That's just great. And, but we and, also get the first one liner of the movie. Yep. Yeah, Baskin, Baskin Robbins, Robbins always finds out. Yeah, that's so great. <laughs> Uh, we do meet the crew, the whole crew here, the, the the Scott and his threesome, if you will. And I'm they're all so wonderful. Like, I love even T.I., who you sit there going, really, T.I.'s in this movie? What he says, every time he delivers a line, it's like, it's so bad you can't help but laugh at it. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I guess, you know, when I first saw him that was on there, I was like, wait a minute, that looks like T.I. And then the second <laughs> time I saw it last night, I was like... Oh, man, this is just another famous rapper trying to get his acting credentials <laughs> up. I'm just like, all right, who's next? We got 50 Cent? Yep. Who's he going to come? Who's he going to be? He's going to be in, okay. he's in power. <laughs> oh, jeez. I just, eh, I, it was tough for me to buy into him. But the other guy, you know, I liked him. It's just really fun. I can't remember what movie I've seen him before, but he's oh, always been Oh, I can tell you exactly what he was in. He was in The Dark Knight. Yes, he was. Uh, he was the crazy guy that Harvey almost killed. I knew he looked familiar. Yeah. Hank gets invited to a presentation at the company he founded, Pimtech. He runs into his daughter, Hope Van Dyne, and his former protege, Darren Cross, who shows him a prototype of the yellow jacket suit, modeled after the Ant-Man suit that Hank wore. Darren has not had success at shrinking living tissue. First of all, I love, I love, 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 ever since Lost, I love Evangeline Lilly. But I hate her haircut here. Yeah, I have mixed reviews about um, Lily 
one, when I first got on the lost trip with all my buddies back at uh, Central Michigan, they just hated Kate. No! She was just so annoying. <laughs> they, just, they just didn't like her personality because she was so annoying. But I was just like, okay, so I kind of had perceived notions about her. And I totally agree. I miss the Kate look. She just looked, it clearly is a wig. Yeah. And it just looked terrible. It's like, no, bring back the brunette. Bring I, I, I'm assuming that's what she was or a dirty blonde, whatever. So that's the first thing I noticed. I was like, no, I already don't like it. Yeah, which is funny because they actually do that in Ant-Man the Wasp. They bring back her regular haircut. No, let's see. They listen to the people. They, the people have spoken, and the people know best. <laughs> uh, Dar- we get introduced to Darren Cross, who's clearly a bad guy. And if he follows most MCU villains, probably a weak one at that. I mean, the dude changed the name of Pimtech. That's just a move. <laughs> yeah, I did see that, and I kind of looked at Hank's face when he saw. It. I was like, "You little." He's probably, Hank's probably thinking, "You little bastard." <laughs> <laughs> little. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh God! See. Yeah. Jeez, thanks, Joe. <laughs> but even even better, he introduces the yellow jacket, <laughs> which is a suit named after basically an asshole insect. Also, there's yep. nothing about this guy that says, "Ah, he could be good." Mm-hmm. I mean, the video he does, the montage, is literally selling assassinations. <laughs> I can't imagine why people aren't buying into it. <laughs> but, what did you think of uh, what, what did you think of when you saw the suit for the first time? It's a suit. I mean, you got the Ant-Man suit. You've seen that in promotions. But then you see this. They introduced this yellow jacket suit, which is significantly different, I think. So I just wonder, what did you think about it? I like I liked the suit. I, I thought it was cool looking. In fact, when this gets, you know, when this movie ends and yellow jacket's all but gone, if you remember... When they did Infinity War and Endgame, Spider-Man's suit has the legs that pop out the back. Yes. Just like the way the Yellow Jacket looks with its extra appendages. So mm-hmm. I kind of like it as a precursor to that, but I just don't understand how you get from one to the other. I prefer the Yellow Jacket suit over the Ant-Man suit in a heartbeat. Yeah, probably because well, one, that one can actually, you know, fly just like a Yellow Jacket can. You know, you're not relying on anything else, but... Yeah. Um, no, I just thought it looked a lot cooler. But then again, the villain's stuff is always supposed to be a little bit cooler than, you know, the actual hero stuff. Yeah, yeah. But and but the last thing you say is, like, you know, they show the entire thing and somebody goes, so it's a suit. Mm, <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, yeah, but isn't that what Justin Hammer was trying to do, was get a suit? <laughs> oh, there are so many parallels with this guy and Justin <laughs> Hammer. The only difference oh, is I Justin can, Hammer was fun to watch. This guy is just, like, dripping with Yes, that's very true. That's that's the only difference between the two. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Scott borrows Louise's van and drops in on the birthday party of his daughter, Cassie. He runs into Cassie's soon-to-be stepfather, Officer Jim Paxton, who is not happy to see him. His ex-wife, Maggie, tells him that he has to find a legitimate job and pay off his delinquent child support before she'll allow visitation with Cassie. Jim and his partner, Gail, insist that Scott leave the party after saying goodbye to Cassie. Okay. Cassie Lang is adorable. And her reaction to that f***ed up toy is hysterical. Okay, yeah. Scott, come on. What are you thinking here? <laughs> it's I mean, so when, ugly. when you pull out, you see this little bag. You know, it's like, here's your birthday present. Can I open it now? Yeah, sure. Pulls this thing out. I'm just like, what the heck? How did you think that this was a good idea? I mean, did you look at it before you bought it? He knows his I daughter. Mean, I guess that's what. That's kind of what I was proceeding to earlier says yeah she's an adorable character but she's got something weird about her in the background (laughs) that just makes her a little different not bad but just a little different she's been exposed to some 
I think. And so, like, where this would be, most most kids would, like, freak out and run for the hills. She's kind of like, she starts laughing at it and just calls it ugly and goes, can I show yeah. mom? <laughs> 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 yeah, you go do yeah. that. <laughs> Fun fact, Cassie Lang eventually becomes the character stature in the Young Avengers. Okay, so that's, see, that's something I didn't know, and I don't know... Um, anything about stature and like i guess what their ability is so yeah. well she's also a shrinker you know she uses her dance technology oh. oh there you go that's cool that's yeah. nice i do really like the honest and real conversation between maggie and scott in regards to scott just growing up and being legit it felt like mm-hmm. this it was right for this movie and it's in the right spot yeah <laughs> one thing i liked about the end of this scene was when he's leaving and he jumps in the van you know mm-hmm. and then this is the first time you hear the the, the van <laughs> it's got it is the van is almost just as much as comedy gold as any almost any of the characters in this and then the funny face that he gives out to just make it seem like say you know what daddy won't be here but he's still gonna be goofy and daddy still loves you so i thought that was really cool buddy the van is as much a character in this movie as the millennium falcon is in star wars oh very perfectly put. I like that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, at Pimtech, Hope and Darren are trying to shrink sheep in it to microscopic size. Their experiment fails and a sheep is killed. Darren insists they press forward with another sheep. Okay, before the scene, though, Cross sees some dude in the bathroom. <laughs> he, sh- he tries to shrink him with like a ray gun or whatever it is, and it just turns the dude inside out. Yeah, this was the guy who kind of questioned him when he was uh, talking with hank and all the other guys yeah um who wasn't really sure about it and i saw this i'm just like all right you are officially above justin hammer now because <laughs> that is a douchebag thing to do yeah yeah you know and i knew there was something i knew there was something fishy about it when he kind of talks to him and puts his hand on him oh you know and then he kind of looks at big guy and takes off what's this and says, wait a minute did he just stick something on him or something i don't know and then <laughs> he's helping him out in the bathroom and then zappo's like whoa I completely forgot about that scene. So right, yeah, yeah, and he's shrinking sheep. It's just gross. I mean, okay. Let me talk about that for yes, one quick do. second. Go into it. He is killing, cute, <laughs> cuddly, perfectly white. Might tell you. I'll tell you that sheep would be worth a lot of money in a in a showing because my my second cousin, you know, back home in Michigan, he used to show sheep. You know, like at uh, at state fairs, festivals, yeah, state fairs and whatnot. So he's taking out these perfect, cute, cuddly little white sheep. <laughs> the guy has no soul. He has no soul. <laughs> he has no soul. How can you do that? The only thing I think would require like more of a patience tolerance than sitting there and watching somebody like experiment after experiment kill off a kiddly, uh, a cute, cuddly, perfectly white sheep is hopes job of basically trying to stay friends with Darren the whole time. I couldn't stand this guy for 15 seconds. I couldn't imagine pretending to have a relationship with this guy. Yeah, even she had even a tough time doing this. Yeah. I think that's, she just like, okay. Well, she was behind the scenes the whole time. Spoiler alert. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, Scott realizes that it'll be more than a year before he can see Cassie again if he takes a minimum wage job. So he takes up Luis's, Luis on his offer. Luis's cousin Ernesto has a friend, Emily, who was a housekeeper and was dating Ernesto's friend, Carlos. She told Carlos that the man whose house she was cleaning has a giant safe that's sure to be holding valuables. Scott agrees to help them with the robbery. Luis tells a story. 
<laughs> yeah. And it's it is an iconic part of this movie, the storytell by Louise. It shots away. Yeah. Yeah, and you know what? I think they I think they do it one other time. And, you know, and I was thinking about this. I said, man, you know what? I would love to have seen like one or two more times the movie does a Louise story. Yeah. I was like, that it'd be so cool to see. But at the same time, you don't want to give the audience too much of something that's really, really good. Yeah, so you don't see this again until I the end. It was done really well. Yeah, and even better, <laughs> his compatriot, Kurt, the guy goes, so what is it again? Old man, have safe. Okay, yeah. that's all we needed to know. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> yeah. The uh, one part I kind of didn't like, and I didn't necessarily write that in there, but it, it was just like, okay, Scott Lang in the very, very beginning says, no, I am not doing this. I am done. I am out. I am not going back to prison. <laughs> and then two days later, or how many days later, says, all right, I want to do it. Yeah, let's do like, it. Well, uh, you know, I mean, I get that you're not going to be able to see your kid for a year, but you're still willing to put all that risk back into it. I was like, okay, this man is completely desperate. Well, I get the impression he's only been caught once. Well, you went to prison. I mean, well, yeah. A, I mean, for but if I think away. If I think that I have to go to go away to jail for a year, that's a long time for me. So I mean, I can't imagine how long he was locked up for. Well, okay, but also let's be honest. The way they showed you the prison in there, it didn't seem so bad, actually. It looked like everybody's no. hugging each other at the end. I'm like, what? I guess, but it's still not a place that I would like to hang out for a very long time. Yeah. I get it. I hear you. Louise picks up supplies for the break-in, and Kurt steals a communication technician's uniform. That night, Kurt climbs up a pole outside Hank's house and blocks the electrical circus circuit, cutting off all phone communication. Scott climbs the fence and takes out the window sensor, sensors, then pries open a window and heads to the basement. He unlocks the basement door only to find a second door that is fingerprint-coded. Using tape, he lifts Hank's print and opens that door. When he gets to the safe, he realizes that he'll need some ingenuity to break the steel door. He drills small holes around the lock, then squirts in water and uses nitrogen to freeze it. The frozen water warps the steel and causes the bolts to shoot out. When he opens the safe, the only thing inside is a weird-looking bodysuit and helmet. He grabs that and heads out. Meanwhile, Hank has been watching the whole upsta episode upstairs. Steve, this is my one of my favorite scenes because it shows just how good Scott Lang is at his chosen vocation. He's Catwoman and MacGyver all rolled into one. Yeah, the whole safe scene was really neat. You said it right there. It's very, very MacGyver. Yes. Um, one thing that was kind of iffy with me is like he gets that perfect print mm -hmm. in mere minutes. So I'm just like, and when they show it up to light, you see it's a perfect outline of print. I was like, hmm. Well, that was a little that that was a little bit of a stretch for me, but I was willing to go. With, he's a professional, but just how quickly he was able to do that, I just thought that was like, all right, let's just go with it. But um, and then the other thing is, is it the safe and how it worked? I mean, that happened in thirty some seconds. That oh, whole yeah. thing just kind of exploded. Would that really happen? Uh, okay, I do have a theory about this, and that okay. is, have you ever had a water bottle in your car and? It's like a really, really cold morning, and you kind of it's you look at it, and there's water inside, and you happen to jiggle it a little bit, and it freezes instantly. I've seen that happen. Yes. Yeah, that's what okay. I attribute this to. Okay. So, and and you know we, we're from Michigan, we know water expands. That's why our roads suck. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> down, down here in Florida, we don't have to really deal with that. No, there's just flooding and <laughs> <laughs> sinkholes. Sinkholes. <laughs> Dejected at not having gotten anything valuable, the group heads back to Louise's apartment. Scott goes into the bathroom and examines the suit he stole, wondering why it was so heavily guarded. He notices tubes full of red and blue liquid. Oh, Harley Quinn. 
out of the curiosity, uh. he puts it on and steps into the bathtub to get a better look at himself in the mirror. Noticing a red button on the glove, he pushes it and instantly shrinks, becoming a half inch tall. Louise comes into the bathroom and he turns on the water in the tub, which is like a tidal wave for Tiny Scott. He hears a voice coming from an earpiece in the helmet. He tries pushing a blue button to return to normal size, but it is broken. Panicked, he jumps away from the water and finds himself sailing across the room. He lands in a crack and falls through to the apartment below. In that room, there's a party going on, and Scott realizes he's on a record player with the needle moving toward him. He jumps free and lands on the floor where people are dancing, and he avoids footsteps and a giant big rat, and eventually it's trigger. He gets he shoots out of a vacuum cleaner. There's a whole bunch of that goes on here. I'm not going to read this whole fucking thing, but it basically... <laughs> The impact that he has when landing on the car jars the blue button free, and he grows back to normal size. Okay. There's a lot here I have a problem with. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. oh, okay. Do tell. Okay. If I may start with first, a, a, a positive. The hero gets the enhancement, and it's hard to maneuver it at first. This is a typical Marvel story point, okay? Mm-hmm. The, sto- the CGI gets a little wonky at times, though. I like this scene, but... If he falls through a ceiling because of his weight and he lands on a record player, wouldn't he break the fucking record player? Gosh. Yeah, you would think. <laughs> I guess you just got to go with the fact that the suit is something special. I mean, it's got to be because because we're to it assume can keep, that he can the, keep him alive in there. So. We're to assume that he is the same weight. He's just smaller. Yeah. So. Imagine a 200-pound man sitting on a record. Well, no. well, yeah, that, well, I don't know about that because then again, then he's sitting and flying on these ants. There's no way these ant, one ant would fly away with like a, you know, okay, I'm going to be a little bit liberal with his weight, a 150-pound man. Okay. So I don't know. I, I think I think he keeps all the strength and whatnot, but I think obviously his weight, his mass is down. So they're, they're in high school affect his weight maybe i don't know that's too much science for me (laughs) uh the rat is frightening and is that garrett morris in the car what the hell is he doing in this yeah i I knew he looked a little familiar from saturday night Uh, live (laughs) yeah yeah okay that's where it was at yeah um see i know you didn't like and thought that it was an okay but i thought this was a very very fun trip with the suit yeah it was very very similar to Tony in the Iron Man suit. The only difference is Scott was terrified and Tony was having a heck of a lot of fun in his. But Tony um, also designed his suit. He knew what he could do. Ant-Man has no idea what the suit can do. <laughs> yeah. And I'll tell you, you know, when he was standing in the tub, kind of look at the suit before he shrank down, I says, tell me, aren't those like the worst spots for those <laughs> buttons? I mean, I feel like if you like accidentally close, you just kind of hit something aside, you'll shrink yourself without even knowing, Yep. you know, and you got to be able to control this at certain times. I mean, what if he was in the drain and then down in the sewers and all that, and there's a little tiny drains that accidentally hits a button. He can explore, you know, he can, Oh yeah. you know, enlarge himself. Like, those are terrible spots for him. Not, I don't not know, yeah. That was just me when I first noticed it. Not good at all. But I can't imagine that there would be a spot on that suit for it to be an actual good spot. Yeah, it's true, but it's just like, ugh, I don't know. The, that, uh, that, that, that part just kind of got me. I hear you. Scott races home and takes off the suit, realizing that someone has been tracking him all along, and he decides to return the suit to Hank safe. He easily breaks into the house again and puts the suit back. But when he gets out, he's surrounded by cops. He is arrested and brought to prison, where Paxton is awaiting for him. Gail tells Paxton that Scott's lawyer is there. Confused, 
Scott goes to see the lawyer that he hadn't asked for and doesn't know. Okay, maybe he's not that good at burglary. I didn't steal anything. <laughs> I, I returned something that I stole. Oh, crap. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I love it, that. It's just brutal. The guy who arrests you is banging your ex-wife. Yeah, and he's already a, he's already a tool to begin with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the lawyer waiting for him is Hank. He offers Scott two choices: life in prison or follow his instructions. Scott is thoroughly bewildered, so Hank tells him that he allowed him to steal the suit. Scott is taken back to a cell, and an army of ants brings him back the suit. He puts it on and shrinks, and then quickly escapes from the prison. One of Hank's ants spreads its wings, and Scott climbs on and flies over the city. Let's just get into this part. Dude, he did not just put that on in 10 seconds. I can't even get a new pair of shorts on for an old pair in 10 seconds. Yeah, no way in hell. I, I, so when, I, when I first saw that, and I was like, what was that? You're doing a countdown? Yeah. Really? And how the <laughs> heck do they know when, he's, when that guard's coming? And so, how did they not notice all those ants coming through the door? Oh, like the guards and everybody yeah. else? Yeah. Unless they crawled through a crack, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, it, it, they could have come from anywhere. Paul Rudd. When I first saw he was cast, this was a weird freaking casting. He was not Chris Evans. He's not, you know, anything like that. But now, after just seeing this scene, I can't imagine anybody else who could sell (laughs) Ant-Man. Yeah, that's true. What was, like, the film? What was, like, one of his major films he did before he did Ant-Man? Oh. Remember off the top of your head? What, like, Role Models? Okay. Yeah, that's a movie I never saw. I know what it is, but I never saw that. But I don't know if there's anything big, because this is, like, I don't know. To me, when I think of Paul Rudd, I just the only thing I think of is Ant Man. Yeah, he, you know what? He was in all the Apatow movies. You know, he was in Freaks and Geeks at one point. He was in was it for, the Forty movie? The, you know, Forty Year Old Virgin. Forty Year Old. Yes, that's where. Okay, that's yeah. exactly where my mom comes. Perfect. For the record, Steve, I would have puked in that helmet the minute the ant took flight. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> uh, a whole lot of everything. Yeah. For yeah. sure. I'm not feeling that at all. <laughs> Hank tells Scott that he invented the suit, but was afraid it would be misused. So he had locked away. Darren had found out about the shrinking technology, but when Hank wouldn't give it to him, Darren forced Hank out of PimTech. When Hope realized how dangerous Darren was, she teamed up with Hank to stop him. Hank tells Scott that he needs him to become Ant-Man to stop people like Darren. Scott realizes he has a chance to become a true hero, the kind of father his daughter deserves. Aw. <laughs> when he wakes up in his house and you see all his ants on the floor, sorry, I'm not getting out of bed. No, yeah, that's it. I thought that was actually pretty funny, the fact that <laughs> these are uh, bullet ants who uh, have probably one of the most painful bite ever. They're here to keep track of you. I'll be like, all right, I'm good. I'm going to stay right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not getting out of bed. In fact, can you bring him in here so he can talk to me here? The Pym Particle. They introduce the Pym Particle in this scene, and I wrote in my notes, I bet that will be important at some point. Hmm. Yeah, dot, dot, dot. Uh, you know the next scene he successfully shrinks the sheep but why doesn't Cross just sell the tech that can turn people inside out it just seems like that would be more valuable to the military I wonder if all along that he was the one who wanted to be able to do like to be in the yellow jacket thing first and yeah. just kind of do his own thing but no that's very true That'll that just seems vile but I guess if you're trying to sell something to for an army they don't want to be like mass genocide they want to be able to fight warfare not yeah. necessarily you know kill i don't know i can kind of understand that you want to sell an army rather than just a big old you know weapon that'll just kill everybody mass you know a lot of them at the same time right right thank you scott for asking why the avengers aren't in on this plan <laughs> and then hank pym says arguably the dumbest thing i hear him say the entire movie this isn't some cute technology like the Iron Man suit. What? 
Yeah, I heard that, and I was like, dude, he's throwing shade at the Avengers and <laughs> Iron Man. I was just like, he is just ripping on Tony Stark. And then that made me think, like, okay, maybe this guy's got some legitimacy to his character. You know, that he could be, you know, a little bit above Stark or on the same level playing field where they uh, – I don't want to say uh, I know I mean, I know they were allies right. but uh, as they worked together but I would put them on the same pedestal really Howard and Hank Pym probably were the Tony and Bruce Banner back in the day Yes yes Now I've got another thing that I got to bring up here Why doesn't Hank Pym tell Hope about what happened to her mother I mean why lie it, I, it would completely change everything if he did, and there'd be no real fallout between the two, and there's no consequences. So why is he lying, Steve? Yeah, no, I totally agree, especially at that point in their relationship when they're older and they're trying to – he knows that he was the Ant-Man before and all this shrinking technology. As a kid, you know, not yeah. telling him, I guess I can understand that, but I don't know. It was <laughs> – um, probably should have told her a little bit sooner, but I know, a couple more scenes later, I guess, that she does – yeah, there, well, there is a scene that happens coming up that I think they had different plans for Hope Van Dyne originally. And okay. that when it is revealed to her what happened, perhaps when different writers took over, they changed the direction of it because you could see her being, how could you have lied to me for so many years? And then her walking out as opposed to how could you lie for me so many years? I forgive you. But we'll get to that in a second. Scott gets trained in martial arts and how to lead the ant colonies. He protect, he practices his timing with shrinking and growing back. Hank explains the truth about how Hope's mother died. Oh, now we'll do it. There was an ICBM that had been launched at the U.S. and Hank was trying to stop it. But even at ant size, he couldn't get inside. She had a similar suit called the Wasp. She decided to shrink to subatomic size and was able to stop the missile. But she couldn't return from that size and was lost in the quantum realm. Hank tells him that one piece of technology he'll need to steal the suit from Darren is in an abandoned shield building. When Scott flies to the building, he sees... Then it's the current Avengers headquarters. Pressing forward, Scott lands on the roof, triggering a sensor. Sam Wilson arrives to investigate, and he can see Scott even at small size. A battle ensues with Scott going inside Falcon's jetpack and causing it to short out, and Scott escapes with the equipment he needs. Okay, there's a lot to unpack here. I'll let you start. Anything you want to talk about here? Yeah, so this whole scene from the beginning of the training all the way through, there is so much exposition here. Mm -hmm. You can't miss anything. But they do actually a really good job of keeping the audience focused by going to his training, then going back to the science, then going – I mean, oh, they, yeah. they, they keep it short and sweet, and they do a really good job of explaining all the science and then – but still sounding nerdy at the same time. So they do a really good job with the vocab and keeping it kind of legit with this quantum realm. Oh, yeah. And what it can do. Another and thing then, that, that might be relevant later on in these movies. <laughs> it, it, it might be. It sounds like a pretty dangerous place. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I think it's got some value to it. But I, I, I really liked it because it really showed his transition to, you know, just a generic thief to all the training and all that stuff. Yeah, he so got plus, cut. He plus, got... Like, you, you get to see. uh you know, what's her face? Kate. Oh, yeah. In tights. And Yeah, I think she's your Black Widow, buddy. Oh, <laughs> she, she is my Black Widow. Yes, I do. Here's the thing. I, I think I told you this, and that was uh, I was rewatching all the Rocky movies. And yes. Every Rocky movie has a, a montage of training. 
I dare say that I I might like this montage more than all the other Rocky movies. Okay, what's up? It's just it's small in scale. It's not. He's not running through the woods here. He's not lifting massive amounts of weights. He's just training in a house. And it's not all over the place. It's just in the house. It's small in scale. And it's funny as hell. Yeah, he does learn a lot. And I think I remember uh, in the scene before where Hank is trying to convince him to stay in the suit is that when um, Kate, or Hope, sorry, she comes back and says, yeah, we don't have weeks anymore. We have mere days. Yeah. So he learns all of this stuff in what seems like an afternoon or maybe even a day. But even that, that's a lot to learn. It is a short amount of time. So kudos to him, I guess. But it's also, you know, he's not the best fighter. (laughs) His strength is really he can go small and hit you with the force of a 200 pound man when he's small. And I guess he doesn't need to know how to really, really fight because, I mean, you know, in the beginning of the film, he knew how to throw a punch. You're right, <laughs> he right. To get peaches, you know. Peaches. <laughs> so he knows how to do that, and I think that's just the basic of what he needs. So yeah, but with the way that Hope fights, like I'm watching her training with him, and I'm like, I want to see her become the Wasp now. And when she eventually does it in Ant Man and the Wasp, you realize she's actually the more skilled of the two. <laughs> oh, most definitely, she's got like MMA qualities. Yeah, but Hope Van Dyne was never the Wasp in the comics. Janet Van Dyne was, but Hope wasn't. Hope was actually the supervillain Red Queen. Oh, really? Yes. And I'm wondering if that's why, when she controls the ants on her own and she starts to take out the light and everything and Hank stops her, I'm wondering if that was like her going dark all of a sudden. And he was like, ah, this is why you're not going to put on the suit because I don't trust you with it. Yeah, that that totally makes sense, and I kind of got that a little bit from when she kind of does all that because her control over everything was completely completely legit. And was that something that Hank trained her, or is that something she just knew naturally? Because we all know Hank didn't want her to put the suit and do all this stuff, but yeah. you train her at the same time. I think he yeah. I think that he he trained her to a point. Like when he was inventing stuff, he was like, "Here, try this on. You can you can move these ants around too." Ha 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 ha. You know, something like that. Yeah, it's it's a scene where I was like, I bet this was supposed to go in a different direction at this point. Okay. He finally tells Hope about her mother. I mean, I, I don't really know what he was protecting her from. This is a big freaking plot hole. Yeah, I, I, I hated this scene probably the most just only because I didn't really like the acting from, mm-hmm. uh, from Lily. It was just like, uh, it was the one lull in the moment, which I could have kind of cared less for i wish they would have done this a little differently so that's all but here's what they do do differently steve which kind of redeems it in my eyes as soon as they're done and they have their moment you hear scott lengo well this is just great this yeah what you do i'm like thank you this is keep the movie where it's supposed to be this is a comedy (laughs) yeah and you know it's funny because that's the marvel comedy Yes. They they exploit awkwardness. <laughs> That's exactly what Marvel does. And you see it more and more as, you know, the films continue to add up. Yeah. And I will never forget my feeling when I was in the theater and I saw Ant-Man jump from the plane and then it turns into Avengers headquarters. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, that, that was really cool. Are we going to see Tony Stark? <laughs> Are we going to see we see friggin' Falcon? Yeah, you got to give that little minor character something to do. You do. but He's just, he's just a bona fide sidekick. I almost wish 
that they would have used up a little bit of a higher profile Avenger to give Ant-Man a little more credibility. <laughs> or maybe even somebody else with there. Like if like Black Widow would have showed up. Oh, you yes. Know? Maybe Falcon and then another person. That would have been good. Yeah. Chris Evans. Even Captain America would have been great. Yeah. Um, Darren. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> I laughed and I thought of you when I finally saw this. So during the end of the training montage, you know, having him, okay, you need to be able to know how to use a suit, get through small spaces, and then kind of get big at the same time. Uh, so he finally jumps through the keyhole, you know, and he shrinks <laughs> at the same time and open. He goes, ha ha, nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what I thought of. I was just like, oh, gosh. Oh, yes. <laughs> Yeah, I can't hear that phrase anymore without hearing Darth Vader mutter it. <laughs> exactly. I can't either. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're okay. Darren Cross finally has success at shrinking a lamb. He envisions himself taking over Pimtech. He invites Hank to the grand unveiling, then calls Hope and tells her that he has increased security, including covering all the vents with microscopic mesh. They realize the job will be harder than they thought and they'll need more people. Enter Louise Curtin Dave. Louise poses as a security guard and lowers the water pressure so Scott can get in through the pipes. Scott plants explosives throughout the building, but when he tries to steal the suit, he gets caught in a glass cage by Darren, who had anticipated the burglary. Darren plans to sell the technology to Hydra. Scott breaks free and takes out the Hydra agents. Darren gets into a chopper on the roof and escapes just before the building blows up. Hank and Hope break out by turning a tiny tank to full size and ride it out the side of the building. Michael Douglas alongside the three wombats is just amazing to watch. <laughs> I thought that was fun too. It was good to see them all. This is great. You, we, cause we just robbed you. <laughs> <laughs> now, now you're inviting them in, into our home. You know, yeah. Having tea. <laughs> the, uh, I, I was laughing out loud when he shows the three idiots that he can shrink and you hear Kurt go, this is the work of gypsies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he has another line in Ant-Man the Wasp where he refers to the Baba Yaga. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this, Steve, but the Ten Rings are in this scene. Okay, I see this here. Please explain because I'm listening. Because, no, I yeah. did. I completely missed this. So Darren Cross, when he's selling the weaponry, when he's trying to sell it to Hydra and all them, there's a bunch of people there. One of them is from the Ten Rings. He's got and a Ten how, Rings thing. He's got a Ten Rings pin. Oh, he has 10 rings on? Okay, yeah. I was going to say, how are we supposed no, to No, he's got the, that? he's got a pin on. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I could, that's something that was completely messed up. So, the, so, first of all, Hydra's still a thing, apparently. Yep. And 10 rings, they're not going away. That, that, that just made this really cool now. Darren puts on the yellow jacket suit, and instantly the audience says, yeah, that's cooler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he and Scott fight inside the helicopter. The, can we just stop right here and just say that this upcoming scene might be one of the coolest single movie fight scenes ever because of how ridiculous it is. Yes, I totally agree. That's yeah. when they're inside the briefcase. Inside the briefcase or mm -hmm. in the little girl's bedroom. Yes, I agree. <laughs> After they both fall out, Scott is able to trap Darren inside a bug zapper. <laughs> but but his I love the fact that, you know, obviously it's Ant-Man, the Wasp, you know, insects. But I just love how they're having these epic battles around <laughs> everyday things, you know. Yeah, and when you break things down so small, it just looks so epic. But just like when they're in the girl's room and they're exploding all of these things. <laughs> and then 
that train runs over and they just show a peck and just tink tink. Yeah. <laughs> when they make it small, when when they sit there and they're right in front of them, they're like by a big size on the screen. It looks like an epic battle. They pull back to show you their actual size and it's like nothing is happening. Jim Paxton shows up to arrest him before he can destroy the suit. Darren goes to Jim and Cassie's house and threatens their lives, hoping to draw Scott in. Scott mm-hmm. arrives and they fight. The only way Scott can get inside Darren's suit is to shrink to subatomic size, and he causes Darren to shrink into nothing. Lang is trapped in the quantum realm, but hearing Cassie's voice, he manages to rewire the suit, reversing the process, and returning him to normal size. The quantum realm is trippy as hell. Hey, I, you know, when that was whole thing was happening, I, well, you kept hearing what Hank was saying. And, but I had that in the back of my mind as soon as this is where all time and space are completely irrelevant. Yes. And this is just like a seriously bad acid trip. So when you're that small, and that, I mean, you, you see yourself going to smaller atoms. To, I mean, to, and I can't wrap my head around anything smaller than that. And he got significantly, yeah, it, it's completely, completely crazy. It reminded so. me of the shot that's going to happen in Doctor Strange, where. He has that, he gets knocked out of his body and he has that massive trip. Yes. Following the battle, a grateful Paxton covers for Scott so he would not have to go back to prison. Hank wonders if Hope's mother is also still alive somewhere. And Louise tells Scott that the Falcon is looking for him. Then we get a post credit scene. Uh After Lang's departure, Pym congratulates or congregates the upgraded prototype of the wasp soup to Hope offering it to her to which she replies it's about time and i'm sitting there going she should have been doing this all along if this was your if this was your plan really no crap because he made it seem like he wanted nothing for her to be able to do this rightfully so yeah i totally got that you know but then when she's like okay i guess we can actually kind of do it okay here you go it's like (laughs) a sudden change of heart all of a sudden for your daughter okay yeah and you know what the wasp suit still looks better than Ant-Man's suit. I'm like, why didn't he give himself the cool suit? Then we get a second post credit scene, but this was actually a teaser for the next movie, Civil War. It's a year later in Berlin, and Steve Rogers and Sam Wilson have found Bucky Barnes. Unable to contact Tony Stark because of the Sokovia Accords, Wilson states that he knows a guy. This almost, what, what is this a scene in Civil War? Yes, it was. Because I feel like this is, okay, because I, I was kind of having a sense of, like, deja vu when this scene kind of came back up. I was like, looks like they just cut a scene from the next movie and just kind of put it in here. Yeah. I have a feeling you're gonna, I'm going to see that same exact scene again. You, it'll be a little bit different. I don't think he says he knows a guy in that one. Okay. Yeah, but it's kind of a theme where everybody's always saying in this movie, I know a guy. He knows a guy. And then the movie's over. So according to the top critics at Rotten Tomatoes, it has a tomato meter reading of 68%. That's 30, 36 fresh reviews and 17 rotten. And the critics gave this film a 6.6 out of 10. Ooh. These, these Marvel movies just can't get any love. The critics' consensus reads, led by a charming performance from Paul Rudd, Ant-Man offers Marvel thrills on an appropriately smaller scale, albeit not as smoothly as its most successful prede- predecessors. I beg to differ. Yeah. Uh, the audience score is a four out of five with 86% agreeing it's a three or higher. But let's be honest, the movie's over. Steve, were you entertained? Uh, heck yeah. It was fun <laughs> and the action was sweet. I liked all the CGI. Uh, what did you think? I love this movie. I, this, is a, this is the Marvel movie I could watch over and over and over again and laugh hysterically doing it. 
Yeah, I remember when you called me like halfway through it, we were just <laughs> dying on the phone laughing. I was like, what is going on over here? Because I don't remember it being that funny. And then I was like, hey, you got me excited to watch this again. Now. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, yeah. hey, let's figure out if the awards got it right and whether this movie is worth your time or not. So did the awards get it right? No Academy Award nominations, no Golden Globe nominations. So where do we go? The Saturn Awards. Best comic to film motion picture, Ant-Man wins. It beat Avengers uh, Age of Ultron. Uh, I, I'll give the nod to that. Yeah, I totally agree. Really? Yes, yes, I do. Oh, boy. Okay, so then we got best actor. Harrison Ford wins for Star Wars The Force Awakens, but Paul Rudd was up for Ant-Man. Do you think Paul Rudd should have beaten Harrison Ford? Yes, I think he gave it a little bit more of a comedic performance. When I look at this entire list, though, um, there's a couple movies I haven't seen, but for some reason, isn't this Leonardo DiCaprio, The Revenant? Isn't that when he won? Yes. Okay, so see, I would have probably put him over there, even though I've never seen the movie. I would actually... I just look at it. I'm looking at this, and I can think of three other names that I would put as best actor over Harrison Ford. Matt Damon for The Martian, (laughs) Donald Gleeson for Ex Machina, and Taron Egerton for Kingsman. Yes. Okay, best director, Ridley Scott wins for The Martian, and, you know, Peyton Reed was up for Ant-Man, but there's a lot of good movies in this list. There's The Martian, there's Ex Machina. I think The Martian's the best one of them all, but... Yeah, between that and Ex Machina, I really I really like those two the best right there. Yeah. It lost best editing to Star Wars The Force Awakens because it's Star Wars The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Best supporting actor went to Adam Driver over Michael Douglas for Ant-Man. Ah! Yeah, that that's tough because Michael Douglas, and he acted the crap out of this movie. Yeah, I thought he did. he did a really good job. Yeah. Uh, and Best Supporting Actress went to Jessica Chastain for Crimson Peak, a movie that nobody saw. And Evangeline Lilly was supposed to be up for it. Now, Steve, I have a controversial theme about to say. I don't think the Evangeline Lilly we see in this movie should have beaten Jessica Chastain, but I think the Evangeline Lilly from Ant-Man the Wasp should have. Yes. Yeah, I agree. She had a more prominent role, and she took a little bit more of an initiative, and she was literally a good support uh, for Ant-Man. Yes, A good there you support go. for Ant-Man. Um, I probably would have taken um, Alicia Vikander oh, over yes. uh, for Ex Machina. I would probably put that. Even though I haven't seen Crimson Peak, but Ex Machina is so good. It is good, yeah. <laughs> it's another movie that at some point we should do. Yes. Uh, and now we go to the MTV Movie Awards where it got one nomination for Best Hero. Uh, Chris Evans was up for this for Avengers Age of Ultron. Daisy Ridley, Ray from Star Wars. You had Paul Rudd from Ant-Man. And who wins? Jennifer freaking Lawrence for Katniss in The Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 2. Sorry, MTV, you lose. Yeah, um, I even hate to admit this, and I'm not, like, the biggest Cat fan. I know. But I think Chris Evans probably should have taken this one over anybody else. (laughs) Paul Rudd does do a good job, but he's still got that, you know, bad boy sense to him. Yeah. Um, and when I think of hero, I think of righteousness, I think of good, and I can't pick anybody other than, you know, Chris Evans for that one. The so. Boy Scout. All right, on to our next segment titled Top 3, Bottom 3. This is where we talk about the three things we want to highlight in this movie, and then we go over the three things that are bad, unforgivable, or downright travesties. Let's start with the top three. Steve, what are your top three to highlight? Okay, my, I got these a little out of order, my fault. <laughs> um, right. Number three. Michael Douglas, I think he acts the crap out of this movie. 
every time that he's on screen, I just really, really, really enjoy seeing him. Um, it's just so good to see and hear him on screen. Yeah. You know, every time he talks, he just, he sounds like a Morgan Freeman. I, I, I just enjoy <laughs> how he acts and I enjoy how he talks. All right. Um, number two, I thought the CGI was really, really cool. Some of the, I think are the best in Marvel. A lot better than that scene in Agent Ultron, mm-hmm. where everything seemed to go like one and a half times faster than what it was. And you <laughs> pointed that out to me during the Thor scene in the very beginning. Okay. Um, I cannot imagine what this would have looked like in 3D. Oh. This would have been absolutely unreal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, my number one, any and every time Ant-Man is Ant-Man. Really? The montages and the action sequences when he's really small – from when he's in the tub to all the way when he's fighting through all that gunfire through all those models. Mm-hmm. It was just a roller coaster. And the thing I like about it even more is that it's through everyday stuff. Okay. I mean, when you think of turning on a tub, I mean, you, you take for granted, I guess, what's really small in there. It's like <laughs> what you said, a complete and utter tidal wave. You know? Yeah. Uh, I just thought that was really, really neat. And that was probably my favorite parts. Okay. So. What do you think? What were yours? Uh, my number three is the fact that they could take an everyman like Paul Rudd and turn him into a hero. I, this just proves that Kevin Feige is a freaking magician. Yeah. Uh, my number two, the casting of Michael Douglas and Evangeline Lilly. Casting Michael Douglas was like casting uh, Robert Redford in Winter Soldier. It's bringing a classical actor t- to a franchise that may need some credibility. I like that. Wow, that's a really good comparison. Thank you. And my number one, every single time Louise, Kurt, and Dave are on the screen, I'm happy. I'm smiling. They could sit there just playing checkers together, and I'd be laughing hysterically. It's they're, they're, They are one of the best additions to a comic book franchise. And I wonder if they, if they knew how well that would mesh together, because I feel like they weren't really on screen together that much during this film. Right. And But people loved it so much, and I think that translates to Ant-Man and the Wasp because there's so much more involved now. Okay. So, yeah, kudos to that. You know, I agree. Okay. Time for the bottom three, Steve. Time to vent. You've been waiting okay. for like six years to do this. <laughs> you know what? And then I read over this. Okay. Um, my number three, <laughs> T.I., I just don't know why he's there. He's a big name artist that doesn't attribute much to this film. You can literally put anybody in there to be a getaway single. So why him? It's just, it seems like it's just a push of what he's just trying to do for his career. He's using Marvel just to elevate him. And he doesn't do much in the film. It's probably because his acting sucks. Well, I do like it when he delivers the line. When, when Michael Douglas tells him, like, you know, I let you steal that. Well, maybe we let you let us. Yes, uh, okay, I'll agree with you on that. That was his, like his only clever line. Um, yeah. Um, number two, hope at any time in the like the first half of the film, before she kind of bought into Paul Rudd and his character. Yeah. She just seemed like she was just a pouty little kid. Oh, I want to be in the suit. Why won't you let me be? It's like stop. She just seemed like a pouty little kid, and it was just annoying. Is that a two point five? You have a two and a half on here. Yeah, I did two, two and a half because I was really torn between the, the number three. So my two and a half 
after 10 years of research is what Hank said what happened with his wife in the quantum realm. He couldn't figure out that doing the old switcheroo on the regulator can bring you back out. I mean, when Paul Rudd, when he goes, when Scott goes into the quantum realm, right. he just like literally takes like one thing, sit on the regulator, close it back up and click, he's out. I'm like, well, okay, if I may, he does say when he uses the enlarger, it said that if he uses that, there's a chance he could go crazy. So it was a last ditch effort. It's like the last thing you want to do because you don't know where you're going to end up. Okay. Well, then when do you, when do you use your last? When is everything else canceled out? And then okay, you know what? Maybe we got to try this. You know, after so many times, you just try to figure out nothing has been worked. It's like you think you know this might work. It's crazy in the end, but eventually that thing's got to come into play. I don't know. Okay. Um. And I think my last one, if he was in the quantum realm yeah. and time and space is completely different, okay? As soon as he snaps in there to go take out Yellow Jacket suit, okay, he's in the quantum realm. Okay. Nothing, nothing happened in the real world, okay? No, nothing happened when he was in there until he got out briefly. So he was in the quantum realm, uh-huh. everything was different, and then he comes back out. But nothing changed. Did they forget about this? Because something happened, like... I had to pause and just say, like, wait a minute. Okay, so that's different. He comes back out. Nothing changes. But time's supposed to be different. There's something screwy here. Okay. <laughs> I'm throwing a challenge flag. Yes, sir. Go right at ahead. At some point, when, when, he war- when Hank Pym warns him about going to the quantum realm, he says, time works unpredictably here, which means that, it could just happen right then and there. It could he you know, wakes up five years later. It could be he goes back in time. It's completely unpredictable how they can manipulate time with the quantum realm. So it just so happens coincidentally when he shoots back up, he is right there at the exact same point in time that he left. But he could have been 10 years down the line. So the unpredictability quality is, is the out that they've given themselves for this. Okay. It's there. It's like they built in their own loophole. As as weird as that sounds, that sounds right and weird <laughs> and wrong at the same time. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. What 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 were the things that you did not like about this film? And be 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 aware. You can challenge me at any time, my friend. Uh, I got you. I feel for a smaller role like Ant Man, they needed more of a heavy hitter than Falcon. <laughs> if he had fought Captain America and gotten away with it, all of a sudden you believe Ant Man's a real force. But now he's just a uh, B character. Yeah, I agree. My number two is sometimes the CGI looks like it was rushed. <laughs> Not all the time, but sometimes it does. Yeah, okay. I think I think I know what time that you're figuring out is maybe when he's on the record player. Yes. Okay. That's I had yeah. I had a feeling that was the time that you're thinking. Yeah, that's yes. the one. Yeah. And my number <laughs> but you know what? Again, it's really one or two scenes that's a problem. And my number one, Darren Cross is another weak villain. Yellow Jacket is cool. Darren Cross is weak. I put put him stronger than a Justin Hammer. I mean, Justin Hammer had the humor to kind of go with it to make it somewhat more enjoyable. But I thought he was. I you know hmm. I'll get into it later. In my but was Justin? Analysis. But was Justin Hammer the villain of that movie, or was it Ivan? <sighs> Oh. That's see, I never did my villain analysis for that film. That's and true. You I, didn't. I you I, didn't do I, your I villain analysis until uh, what? Age of Ultron. I think Hammer was just the brains behind it. And he just brought in the brawn. Okay. All right. 
So, Well, now you'll get to speak on this, my friend. We're doing our critics rating here. We use an A to F scale here on the movie planet. A C is considered average. An A, or a 12 out of 12, is the highest. And an F, or a 1, is the lowest. If the movie is so bad it receives Fs from everybody, it goes to a new category of movie, the movie Planet Global Killer. But the question is, what do you give Ant-Man in the comic book feature film genre? Steve, I usually go second. I want, I want to let you go second. I want you to have the final word. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. You, you, you got me for – okay, you threw a curveball on me. Okay. Well, I'm throwing one All myself right. here. So Marvel has perfected the safe origin story. I feel like ever since Iron Man, all the other origin films have teetered around the 8 to 10 out of 12 range of ranking, which is like a B minus to B plus, except for Hulk, but he's redeemed later in other movies. This movie is really no different. Is the movie formulaic? Yes. It was around the time of this movie that critics and audiences started to see the cookie cutter way of Marvel origin movies, and this movie took a lot of heat for it. But let's think about this. If you have a way of making movies that end up being above average compared to others, and your focus is on an overall narrative instead of taking unnecessary risks, then it makes sense for the fact that all these origin movies are snugly around a B grade. Casting-wise, I love everyone in this cast except Corey Stoll and Martin Donovan. Now, Stoll was riding a high from House of Cards when he was cast in this film. And if there was any nuance to his character, it was lost in his line delivery. Every line he says, even when he's a good guy, is dripping with evil intention. Donovan is largely forgettable, but you get the feeling from his character's perceived impact with S.H.I.E.L.D. that he was supposed to mean more to the story. Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, Michael Douglas, and the triplets of T.I., David Desmalshian, and my MVP... Michael Pena are perfect. The script is tight. It moves fast. Yes, this had a smaller cast for a smaller story about a smaller hero, but anything would seem minuscule following an Avengers movie just two months earlier. If Age of Ultron was your main course, then Ant-Man is your after-dinner mint. And in my opinion, it's a delicious little morsel. So what do we learn from the overall MCU in this movie? Well, we get introduced to Ant-Man, Hope Van Dyne, Hank Pym. It reintroduces S.H.I.E.L.D., led by an aged a a Agent Carter and Howard Stark. You get the Pym particle, which allows the user to shrink and expand depending on its usage. You get the Quantum Realm, where time doesn't just move differently. It's chaotic. Sometimes it's fast, sometimes it's slow, but always unpredictable. Hydra is still a thing, and apparently the Ten Rings are also. They mentioned the Sokovia Accords before they're even introduced in Civil War. And finally, you get the Millennium Falcon of this movie, Louise's Van, which will eventually house the very device that helps save the world in Endgame. Unlike previous movies in the MCU, this movie is different in that it is a straight-up heist film. In fact, this movie is as different to the overall tone of the MCU as Winter Soldier was. Even more of a difference is this movie doesn't take its main character too seriously. I mean, <laughs> it's Ant-Man. He can turn small. This isn't exactly something you should consider a threat which is why they fantastically turn this also into a comedy as well as a heist film. And in that regard, it wins over the audience. So, Steve, I am giving this movie a B plus. That's my grade. Steve, you're up. So, first off, very well done. I liked everything that you said about oh, that. That thanks. was really good. Thank you. <clears throat> so, all right. I remember seeing this film when it first came out. Uh, well, when it was advertised. And I laughed. Um, really? An Ant-Man superhero movie? 
I'm out. There's no way I'm going to see this. It's just like, no. Marvel went a little cuckoo on me, and I think I just stopped watching it altogether for a while. I was like, what the heck is going on? This time around, it was fun. When I, I think I finally sat down and watched this movie probably around Ragnarok when I was probably told to kind of go through this whole Joe journey. Uh-huh. And I was like, okay, this is uh, this is one I got to get to. Let's just pump through it. And I was just like, it was fun. It seemed almost as good as an origin story as Iron Man. Oh! Which, let's just say, we have that as our perfect score at A. But <laughs> let's pump the brakes, because Iron Man is the benchmark. Does this movie hold up? Well, first off, my villain analysis. Cross is what Hammer should have been. His name has villain written all over it. Cross. I mean, come on. He played along very well. They mentioned that his brain was being messed up with because of the effects. Effects of what? He wasn't shrinking himself. I just, he just did, did they just figure that out? I mean, so so what what was he being messed up on? I know mental health is a big thing these days. I don't know. Maybe it's a little nitpicky though. But I put him above Hammer for sure. Mm. Solid. I'm sorry. The whole lamb thing, that's what kicked you up there. <laughs> Humor was well-placed, and it wasn't too much. I laughed a couple times, but I didn't like the movie because of the humor. I loved the heist feel of it mm. with the superhero twist. This is a Honey, I Shrunk the Kids on roids. It's <laughs> 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 exactly what I thought of. This is a must-see film that is fun all the way through it has a lame spot where hope cries when she finds out her mom where she kind of hated her dad this whole time but then it's like okay i forgive you now you know but i was like that scene just bothered me Uh and i don't think it was in my opinion it just wasn't good acting on her part it's tough yeah, I, I know I said when I first started this whole thing that I was to view this in the mind that I haven't seen anything else ahead. And the more we go into these films, I'm sorry, the tougher it is. This movie is so incredibly pivotal, pivotal, excuse me, in the entire saga. Do it. Almost, almost, almost as good as Iron Man 1 oh. in terms of origin. Oh, my God. But I loved so, – and then when I look at all these grades, but I loved the Avengers movie, the first one. I loved it. I loved the Avengers over this movie, but damn, these two are really close. <laughs> that is why I agree with your grade, Joe. I'm going to give it the same. I give it a solid B+. Plus. Yes! <laughs> I've done it! Five years! Five years I've waited for redemption for this one. <laughs> oh, my God. I feel like I just got laid. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> oh, wow. I oh. Where does that where does that put Ant-Man in our scheme of things here? Well, it's surprising, my friend. This puts <laughs> Ant-Man at a score of a B-plus for both of us, a t- solid 10. So our list of movies is Deadpool with a perfect score of an A, Iron Man with an A, Dark Knight with an A, Batman Begins with an A minus, Marvel's The Avengers with a B plus by 10.500, Ant-Man is a B plus with 10.000, and Captain America is number seven at a 9.5. It leapfrogged Thor and Cap to take the number six spot. Woo! Well. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, I think if, I, I mean, I don't know who decides when these movies come out in the grand scheme of the whole story. Yeah. But I think if this movie was placed earlier in the saga, mm. I don't think it does as well. I no. think there's just, I, so I think where they place it, I think is absolutely perfect. Obviously, you know, it's, it ended up what they did. But yeah, it's just, I told with what I stand, it was just a really good origin right up there with Iron Man, but it's like, oh, come on. The Avengers <laughs> was just so good. I love that. So, no, yeah. I think it's perfect. Let's get our critics' hats off. Do you love this movie, like this movie, or none of the above, Steve? I'm surprised I wasn't all into loved it, but I really, really liked it. Yeah, I'm a love this movie. I love it. I love it because I can rewatch <laughs> it a thousand times and never get sick of it. Yeah. The ultimate question, though, would kids love this movie? like this movie, are none of the above. And I'm going to say they're going to love it. I think it's just funny, and they love the humor stuff. What about you? Yeah, I think they would really like it. I think the uh, the action sequences, especially when the big <laughs> – I'm telling you, my son would be floored when he would see that Thomas the Train oh, blow yes. up all over that house. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I think that they would definitely like it and get a kick out of those like little things. Okay. All right. Well, that's the end we've got here, and – we're getting to arguably our, one of our most legendary shows. That's all we got time for today, Movie Planeteers. Next show, we'll continue our look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Captain America Civil War. Now, back in the day, JC and I did this movie, and we had our own Civil War, and it wasn't pretty. A lot of yelling got edited out of that show. I'm going to try to pick pieces out of that one for you and me, Steve. Oh, God. You know, that was when I first started listening to you guys. That was my number one. I could listen to that one over and over <laughs> and over again. It's, it's, I, I, it, it's still great to this day. So this, I, I, I'm going to feel like a kid in a candy store. The fact that um, I get to put my little two cents into this whole thing, you know, and that this is the one where I kind of almost requested this. You know what? I think I might want the last word on something. Oh, because <laughs> you two have given yours. Yeah, you know, and I'm not say, but I think if you have like one other person in there, uh, th this would be the one I'd like to give my last word on. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna see if uh, I can edit it in a way that um, I can insert JC into parts of the conversation uh, wh okay. while we are doing our thing. So, oh, be... <laughs> yeah, this is where you're. Uh... This is where your talent really comes out. This is, this is where I work. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, you can email the Movie Planet using the address movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Overcast, Podbean, or Spotify, and give us a four- or five-star review. Tweet with any questions, comments, theories, and we'll try to fit them into the show next time we're on the air. Send those tweets to Movie Planet Pod and like us on Facebook and Instagram using the links in the show notes. The opinions expressed on the Movie Planet Podcast are those of the individual hosts, and we are not affiliated with, prepared for, approved, or licensed by any entity that created any films discussed or reviewed herein. All movie clips and music included in the podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Steve, any last words? <laughs> Thanks for listening, and happy movie watching. <laughs>